Thursday, May 16th, 2019, and welcome to this week's edition of the FritzCast with... Ugh. Wow, tongue twister, start over. Let's let's try that again. Uh, welcome to this week's edition of the FritzCast, uh, which is bound to be a jam-packed episode full of variety of disorder and chaos, uh, full of subjects that'll make your... Uh, Head spin and tug at your heartstrings, maybe, I don't know. Uh, and uh, maybe, just maybe, I'll do the whole program sounding like Harry Carey. Like, wouldn't that just be great? If I just sat here talking like this the entire episode, I'm sure it would annoy the crap out of some people. But we're not gonna, we're not gonna do that. We're, we're, we're not gonna do that. Um, it's my birthday week. Uh, I, I tweeted this out yesterday. On the 15th, you know, I tweeted out, holy shit, I'm going to be 30 in 10 days. And, and uh, you know, this is this is the weirdest thing. It, this is so, life right now is, uh, there's a lot going on in my life right now. Um, just, just thinking about some of the things and the accomplishments... You know, 30 used to freak me out. When I turned 25, I literally stopped when I turned 25 and I said, holy crap, I've been alive for a quarter of a century. That just, it, it, it hit me in such a way that, that my whole life just seemed kind of insignificant <laughs> at that point. I was like, 25 years and what have I done? You know, not not a knock on some of the accomplishments that I have done and some of the things that I, you know I absolutely have loved about my life up till now. But it was, I, you know, I guess it was just one of those weird reflective periods, and I thought to myself, like, dude, in five years you're gonna be thirty. That's that's nuts. Some somewhere along the line, I don't know. It's like you hit sixteen or seventeen. And right around that time frame, life goes from this, like, casual pace drag. Like, looking back on my childhood, in my head, childhood days lasted forever. They lasted forever. It's like, it's like driving. When I drive places, I don't have, like, there's this relevancy to the amount of time that passes. And I could drive down a stretch of Kirkwood Highway here, for example. It's like with a primary roadway in northern Delaware. Uh, it, if I drive down Kirkwood Highway from where my mom's house is to literally anywhere, I can recall being a kid on that same drive thinking that it took forever, whereas an adult, I, you know, I gauge that same drive by the fact that it only took me two to three songs on my phone to get through. And I'm like, well, that's not very long at all. Like, why, why, why was it when I was a kid that was that drive, that same drive, nothing has changed between the time that I was a child and now. That drive took forever. I loathed that drive as a child. 
now it is so routine and mundane and monotonous. I'm like, oh, that's like two or three songs. I know exactly what songs I want to listen to. Two. So th- there was a while where I thought that I would have like a panic attack or some kind of you can't call it a midlife crisis at 30 anymore, right? I mean, it that just doesn't make sense and I was calling I was calling turning 25 a quarter life crisis just because like literally I turned 25 and I was like I have at best two of these left and maybe some extra time if I'm blessed. <laughs> I only got two of these left, man. Uh, and now it's like, I thought coming up on 30 would be like terrible, horrendous, horrific. And in all honesty, uh, I'm a, I'm going to become a father. Uh, I've been promoted twice now in the job that I've held, uh, significant promotions at that too. Uh, and I've been running this podcast for like three years now and these are all like a- accomplishments that I'm proud of. These are all things that I've done uh, in a short amount of time. And uh, I guess you could say, at-, at this point, just as I'm about to turn 30, I've never really felt better in my life. I've never felt more active, uh, more fit. Um, granted, I have to get you know even more fit than I am because... In all honesty, I'm still a flabby bastard, <laughs> but but uh, I feel really good. I feel really good, and I don't, you know, it, turning 30, so much has happened this year, and, and so much, like, you know, having a daughter on the way is my focal point at this point. Like, to me, this 30th birthday thing is not a big, is not as big a deal as probably 30 is to a bunch of people I'm not I'm not focused on it I, I don't really even care uh, at this juncture because of what I'm waiting for through through the summertime and just trying to you know trying to find that balance of enjoying your life and and finding the things that you really truly enjoy in life and trying to you know work through the mundane and the monotonous aspects. But, you know, in all honesty, with a child on the way, uh, everything has changed. Uh, Everything has slowly changed since January 1st when my wife and I figured out that we had the little one coming on the way. Because the name of the game changed. It wasn't just about me and her now. It's about, you know, oh, crap. Well, it's me, you, and, and this child, whether it's a boy, whether it's a girl, uh, it, it's the expanding of our family, and that puts in different perspectives of things. You know, you talked to me maybe last year or two years ago. You know, hey, where do you think you're going to go in your job? I don't even know if I want to keep my job. What are you talking about? And that slowly turns from, you know, oh, I'm out of here. I'll make it work. To you know, how, what, how can I make the best situation where I'm at and the most secure situation? Uh, you know, the analysis in your head changes entirely. Just like the analysis in my head about, you know, how we started redoing the flooring in our house. Now, <laughs> in retrospect, seems kind of dumb because I'm not done. And I don't know if I will get finished. 
before this child comes. And now it's like, do we rush to finish it? Do we not really even worry about it? Do we cap it off and, and have two different types of flooring in the house? Because at this point, I just don't care. <laughs> oh, God. These are the things that life has become. But, you know, it's great. And, my you know, for those of you wondering, my wife is still, still doing awesome. Uh, we're trucking along just fine with everything. And, uh... I'm adapting to my new schedule. Um, I, I used to think I would hate, you know, working, working midnights. You know, hey, when are you going to work? Oh, I go to work at you know 11:30 at night, and and I come home, you know, right before 8 a.m. You know, it's it's awesome. Not not really, uh, but it's not terrible. It's really not terrible. I'm still getting the amount of sleep I should be getting. Um, it's just at different times. You know? So, you make it work. You make it work and it's not that bad. It's not as bad as make people make it seem. It's not as bad as people saying it is. Uh, so, there's that. There's that adapt- adaptation of stuff. And besides, besides anyway, I'm on vacation this week coming up. Which is... I wasn't even going to originally take it. But now it's like, you know what? Screw it. Take it. Take the vacation. It's not that much time I'm burning off anyway. And come September, I'm, I have 12 weeks of parental leave that's paid. So I'm taking that. I'm taking it. You can judge me all you want. I'm taking it. So that's been the, the primary focal point this week. <laughs> it's just that I'm turning 30 and... The rest of my family, I'm the baby of the family. I have uh, uh, five uh, older sisters and two older brothers who now are all extremely old in comparison to their baby brother, which is now ter- who's now turning 30. So there's that. There is absolutely that. So, so there's been a, a cavalcade of, of topics that have happened in this past week alone to talk about at length that uh, one of the subjects is is an extremely hotly debated topic that people have very passionate opinions about. They even have opinions about the opinions that other people can have about it. So, (laughs) So it's that kind of a fiery topic. Uh, there's, uh, speaking of that too, there's, there's, uh, an investigation that's going to be opened up on the cause of an investigation. <laughs> we investigate investigations now. That's what we do. Uh, and, and among the other, to- you know, those are the two hot topics that we're going to talk about today at length. Uh, after I talk about, um, how I trolled Eric Swalwell uh, on Twitter first. Uh, maybe that's just because I have to get the immaturity out of me now uh, before we talk about the more serious topics. But as you know, as you may be aware, I kind of want to do this in a voice. As you may be aware, there are 1,700 Democratic candidates running for president in 2020. Of the 1,700 candidates, including a man whose name is Robert Francis O'Rourke, but he likes to call himself Beto, 
there is a man called Eric Swalwell, which my wife laughed at his name the other day. When I showed it to him, she's like, whoa, how do you say his last name? And I'm like, it's not that difficult. It's S-W-A-L-W-E-L-L. That's Swalwell. Even though half the time I say it on this program, I'm like, Eric Swalwell. So I know I fuck it up all the time, <laughs> but that's beside the point. Oh, man. Eric Swalwell. Oh, wait, I'm supposed to do it in the old time. Eric Swalwell posted on his Twitter account, quote, my late-night craving is a spoonful of peanut butter. Trying to be healthier, I recently bought the reduced-fat jar of Jif. I'll have the fat back, please. End quote. End quote. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm going to continue on. So, uh, Eric Swalwell, in his desperate attempt to relate to you... In his desperate attempt to relate to you, talks about how he bought a reduced fat jar of peanut butter in order to be healthier. To me, to me, this tweet was very idiotic because, you know, most common sense folk know that reduced fat means that it's not healthier for you. It means they put more shit in it. That's what it means. So I was taken aback by his comment. Um. In which I replied to him. <laughs> oh, God. I'm sorry. See, I can be mean sometimes. This is just the example of, you know, oh, Fritz is a nice guy. No, Fritz is an asshole sometimes. <laughs> I said, quote, You're idiotic enough to believe something that says reduced fat is actually healthy for you. And then I provided an image of Skippy peanut butter below the reduced fat one. And I said, and I know the below image is Skippy, but Jif is among the worst. And I cited it to an article about how Jif peanut butter is among one of the worst nutritional peanut butters ever, including its reduced fat kind. And then I said, and you want to be president. <laughs> and the picture I posted was the jar of uh, reduced fat Skippy. And it says, a three-part tragedy. Number one, Skippy took out some fat. Number two, Skippy added this. Corn syrup, soy protein concentrate, hydrogenated oils, mono and diglycerides. Diglycerides. I feel like I feel like you can't I feel like you can't say these words if, unless you're drunk. This is why Harry Carey came in. Because it has mono and diglycerides. Oh, I said it right under Harry. How the, how the hell does that work? Okay, anyway. And then part three. Calories saved ten. 10 calories for 25% less fat peanut butter when the research would show you that the fat in peanut butter is actually good fat. I would know it's good fat. I'm speaking from experience on this because from the age of about 3 till about 9, I ate nothing but peanut butter and I didn't die. I was just an extremely fat, overweight kid. But I did not die. I did not die and the doctor even said, I even remember the doctor, the good doctor saying, well, he's getting a lot of good nutrients and stuff from the peanut butter, at least. And I don't have high cholesterol. I don't have high blood pressure. I don't have all this crap. I'm starting to become a healthy individual. I like actual food. It took me a while to get there, but I like actual food. So, I mean, that's Eric Swalwell trying to relate to you because he bought a reduced fat a jar, jar of peanut butter thinking that it was healthier for him. That's how he relates to you. He relates to you by being a dumbass. Don't vote for him. Jesus. So... So now that we got that out of the way, um, the big 
forefront debate, the thing that if you go on Twitter or most forms of social media now, you're going to get somebody's opinion. You're going to get unsolicited opinions about abortion right now. That's the big topic going on because Alabama passed one of the nation's most restrictive abortion bills, went to the desk of the governor, the female governor, who, in fact, signed it into law. And the debate that people are having over it is so, so crazy. Um, de depending on how you want to look at it uh, and how massive a scale we can go with it. Um, th th first off, let's just, you know, l l let me just the breakdown of the bill real quick. All right, from the Twitter of Governor Kay Ivey, who signed it, quote, Today I signed into law the Alabama Human Life Protection Act. To the bill's many supporters, this legislation stands as powerful testament to Alabamians' deeply held belief that every life is precious and that every life is a sacred gift from God. Okay, I'm reading from NPR now. Um, quote, It is considered the most restrictive abortion law in the United States. The law makes it a crime for doctors to perform abortions at any stage of a pregnancy unless a woman's life is threatened or there is a lethal fetal anomaly. Under the new law, doctors in the state face a felony jail time up to 99 years if convicted. But a woman would not be held criminally liable for having an abortion. Okay, see, a woman having an abortion would not be held criminally liable. Instead, they're aiming at the doctors that would perform the abortions. Uh, the law does not take effect for several months as it stands. Uh, there are no exceptions for cases of rape or incest, and that was a sticking point for when the Alabama Senate first tried to debate the measure last Thursday. Sponsors of the bill insist they wanted to limit exceptions because the bill is designed to push the idea that a fetus is a person with rights in a direct challenge to the U.S. Supreme Court's landmark Roe v. Wade decision that established a woman's right to an abortion, except, hold on, it didn't really do that. You see, after this bill came out, people like Bernie Sanders, uh, other prominent Democratic candidates came out to say that, uh, you know, uh, uh, abortion, like you know, Bernie Sanders' tweet, uh, abortion is a constitutional right. Uh, women have a constitutional right to an abortion. That's not what Roe v. Wade said. That is not the details of Roe v. Wade. And I think people seemingly don't understand what, what the decision made in Roe v. Wade was. Um, the, the Roe v. Wade protects a, a due process clause of the 14th Amendment providing a fundamental right to privacy that protects a pregnant woman's liberty to choose whether or not to have an abortion while also ruling that this right is not absolute and must be balanced against the government's interest in protecting women's health and protecting prenatal life. The court ruled pretty much ruled it as a state's issue. 
uh, state regulation of abortion to three trimesters of pregnancy. The court ruled that during the first trimester, governments could not prohibit abortions at all. The second trimester, governments could require reasonable health regulations. And the third trimester, abortions could be prohibited entirely so long as the laws contained exceptions for cases when abortion was necessary to save the life of the mother. Though That's Roe versus Wade. There, and, in, and there within does not state that a woman has an undeniable right to an abortion. Not by legal terms, not by definition at all. We have what we have in the news media and in this debate that, that rages online is a fundamental misunderstanding of, of what the legislation actually did. So when people say, oh, it's a constitutional right to an abortion, eh, not exactly. That's not how that reads. It's not how that reads. And that's not me trying to be a smartass. It's not me trying to be like, ha ha, you know, gotcha. It's not, that's not what I'm trying to do. It's literally not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to say that people have a fundamental misunderstanding of the legalities of this issue and what it declared. And when you have fundamental misunderstanding of this thing, people walk around in ignorance and thinking that they know what they're talking about. You know, you have to look back at the time that Roe v. Wade was passed, too. I mean, you know, uh, a, a 1973 article in the Yale Law Journal from American legal scholar John Hart Ellie who I mean he was he was he was known for his studies of constitutional law like an expert his quote on Roe v Wade was quote it is not constitutional law and gives almost no sense of an obligation to try to be further adding Quote, what is frightening about Roe is that this super-protected right is not inferable from the language of the Constitution, the framers' thinking respecting the specific problem in issue, any general value, value derivable from the provisions they included, or the nation's governmental structure. All right, a professor, Lawrence Tribe, had similar thoughts. Quote, one of the most curious things about Roe is that behind its own verbal smokescreen, the substantive judgment on, what it, on which it rests is nowhere to be found. All right, we can look at the 1992 amendments to it, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, in which the court reaffirmed Roe, Roe's holding that a woman's right to, an ab to abort a non-viable fetus is constitutionally protected but abandoned Roe's trimester framework in favor of a standard based on fetal viability and overruled Roe's requirement that government regulations on abortion be subjected to strict scrutiny standard. All right, the Roe original decision defined viable as potentially able to live outside the mother's womb, albeit with artificial aid. And justices acknowledged Justices in the Casey case acknowledge that viability may occur at 23 or 24 weeks or sometimes even earlier in light of medical advances. To talk about like Roe v. Wade beating, being settled law, this is settled law. No, it's not. It, it's absolutely not. 
much like anything with the Supreme Court, they can have a ruling and it can more or less do nothing. Now, back at the crux of the matter, the Alabama law, the only reason they drafted and passed the Alabama law was to take this to the Supreme Court and challenge Roe v. Wade again. They bluntly admitted it. Alabama lawmakers bluntly admitted it, and so did the governor. The governor admitted that she doesn't believe any of it will be enforceable law, but that they're going after Roe v. Wade. And a plethora of other states are doing similar things. Whether it be passing fetal heartbeat bills that ban abortion once a heartbeat is detected, or otherwise... Now, a lot of people would say, before I start spouting my opinion on it, a lot of people, a lot of women would tell me, you know, uh, more or less, fuck off, um, you know, that I don't have a right to an opinion on this matter. Maybe that's true, except, oh yeah, we're all born. We all have to go through a nine-month gestation period and hope to God that our mothers don't abort us to actually get to life. Uh, to actually get to this this shithole of a planet known as C-53. Sorry, Marvel reference for you. I have to lighten up the subject a little bit. Um, yeah, Everybody had to, you know, be conceived and go through this and be born. So, in my view, everybody potentially faced the reality of potentially being aborted. I don't think it's unreasonable to say that. And I don't think it's unreasonable to say that uh, maybe I don't like the prospects of the fact that I could have been aborted. My mom would never would have gotten an abortion. I know that much because there's freaking eight of us that were born. So... In my mother's eyes, abortion probably wouldn't have been an option. I'm just, I'm, that, I'm speculating on that. Mom, you can correct me if I'm wrong. But you don't seem to be the pro-choice, uh, uh, pro-abortion type. Just, just saying, I could be wrong though. Therefore, I think anybody that has an opinion on it has, you know, potential valuable input on the discussion. The problem is, is that we are all so bluntly immature that we can't even have a discussion on the matter. Like, we cannot have... It's impossible to have a discussion on the matter right now. Reason being is because you have people who do not look at the details of this bill from Alabama, which will probably never be enforceable law. And instead of looking at the details of it, they just look at the victory of having pretty much banned abortion, which in their eyes is wrong. 
people can have an opinion that abortion is wrong. Um, the, 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 the wider debate is really life and viability and when does a developing child actually earn their rights? When are they actually life? And, and that is, it's the scary debate that people actually don't want to have. That people don't want to have that debate. If you, if you look at the Alabama bill and just fully support it, I mean, I don't know where you're coming from. I don't know where your mind is. The, the, the bill has the potential to criminalize a doctor that performs an abortion more time than a rapist could get. And while a woman would not be criminalized for seeking an abortion if she were raped, the doctor could face up to 99 years in jail for carrying out the abortion on the raped woman. That's, you have to concede that that is just a, just a mite ridiculous. Just, just the smucks dinning ridiculous if you don't where the fuck is your mind literally where the hell is your mind that the doctor could be penalized as much as if not maybe even more than the rapist could, could there be seepings of misogyny there <laughs> maybe maybe just maybe. Look, this is where this is where the debate really gets tossed up. I, I tell people all the time that I have such mixed opinions uh, on this thing. Because first and foremost, I am, I, I tell people all the time, I'm not a constitutionalist, I'm a declarationist. I love the first, I, well, it's not the first line, but I love the lines of the Declaration of, in, of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these and the first one listed is life. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And some of the, some of the debates that I don't like in the, in the abortion thing is that when you're talking about pregnancy, at a certain point, what is developing, I mean, first off, when pregnancy is initiated, there's, it's not a chance that, um, that the embryo and the clump of cells becomes anything other than a human being. It has the full potential to develop into a human being, and only a human being. It cannot develop into a million dollars, a trust fund, a 67 Chevrolet, a Cadillac, a television, um, or the 1972 Dolphins. Okay, you know, you know what I mean? Like, it's going to become a human barring any setbacks during the course of pregnancy, of which there are uh, 9 million possibilities and probabilities. Okay, I get that. I absolutely get that, but there's a point in the pregnancy where it ju it does it's not just a little dot with a little flickering heartbeat anymore. 
And it all depends on your perspective and stuff, too. For me and my wife, it was years of trying to get pregnant, having failures, and thinking that we were facing having to do things like IVF or other means to attempt to get pregnant to the degree that when we went to the first ultrasound and we saw a little dot with a little flickering heartbeat, uh, for me, that was a life-changing moment that's ingrained into my head because I, at that moment, that was the reality check for me. It wasn't the P-test with the two pink lines. I was still in kind of like a haze of, you know, huh, she took a test and it says she's pregnant. All it took was a flickering heartbeat on a little dot on a screen. That changed everything in my mind. And it changed everything in my wife's mind. And much of that came from the fact that we tried and tried and tried and had no success. And it was the next big phase that we wanted to have in our relationship in expanding our family. So... We went through wave of denial, 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 denial. And then we finally got it. And mind you, the first couple of ultrasounds throughout those first couple of weeks was only seeing a little dot with a little flickering heartbeat. But eventually that dot became a little baby. And I find it a little disheartening when people just refer to it as a fetus even at even when it's reached its viability outside the womb stages. Because every ultrasound, hearing the heartbeat every time, every ultrasound was was a baby that was reacting to what was going on. Reacting to its environment, kicking and spazzing and, and flailing its hands around. And you can do the research to read that um you know, you you can start reading when, you know, fetal brain developments have reached the point of that baby is voluntarily moving around because of experiencing the environment and the baby's moving around because it's uncomfortable in whatever position it's at and the the, the baby's moving around just because it wants to move around. It's not involuntary twitching and all that crap. You You can read that stuff up and that probably becomes a sensitive subject to people. I'm sure, but guess what? We were all there. We were all that at one point. The debate becomes when do, when is that human, because face it, it is you know a human, a developing human being. When is that person alive? Some people believe that that person is not truly alive until uh, you give birth to it and, it, and it breaks the seal and touches air. Okay. Whatever. Some people believe that it's at the viability stages where it can survive outside the womb via whether it needs the medical assistance to do it or not. The thing that gets me in, in this debate, the things that are off-putting to me in this debate, really is like the die-hard feminism wing that 
proudly waves a banner of wanting that right even past the stages of viability because, you know, my body, my right. And I hate the my body, my right argument because the left, the Democrats, the the progressives of the world, uh, up until now at least, haven't backed that statement up. Because if it's my body, my right, then why do we still have all these drug laws? Because, I'm sorry, my body, my right, right? Like, if it's my body, my right, the, the crackhead that wants to do crack all the time should therefore be allowed to have crack. Why is, why is crack illegal? Why is that a tier whatever drug that can get you locked up and, and put in jail forever if it's their body, their right? Why are all the heroin people locked up uh, for being heroin addicts when it's their body, their right? Why is prostitution, why are prostitutions, why are, why are whores locked up for prostitution when it's my body, my right? Why are people put in jail for soliciting prostitution when it's my body, my right? Why is assisted suicide and euthanasia not legal all across this these great United States because it's my body and my life and my right? In that sense, I think that's a, a very shallow debate. And I can't stand when, when people are proudly waving it and proudly screaming it about it being a right. Abortion should should be viewed as like one of those and I kind of hate to say it myself in my own head necessary evils like we need it there in the rare cases that we might have to use it but in all reality this is where this is where I really don't understand the debate somebody please fill me in on this in all reality, shouldn't we be pushing every means possible to try to make it so that we don't even have to get to that stage of where abortion is necessary? I mean, for instance, for for dudes, buying condoms over the counter ain't nothing. Condoms are cheap. It's a leading contraceptive. And it's a male's responsibility for going and buying those condoms. And I never understood why women's access to birth control pills without a prescription, just over-the-counter, walk in and buy a box of birth control pills, never understood why that's not a thing. Never understood why that's not a thing, and I actually advocate and, and support and fight for the ability for that. And same thing with things like the day-after pill. To me, the day-after pill isn't abortion. It's not. I mean, I guess some people would say it is. But to me, the morning-after pill ain't abortion. Um, people should be able to access that because you're talking about something so way early in, in the stages of the pregnancy. Like, it probably even just cancels out. In some cases, things like the day-after pill just cancels the initiation of a pregnancy. And in that case, I don't really have the moral quandary there that other people do. Have that access out there for people. 
I mean, for me personally, that the abortion thing really does start becoming a moral issue once there is a heartbeat there, for sure, and, and we have healthy developments of the developing human being. When people say, oh, it's just a clump of cells, guess what, buddy? We're all just a fucking clump of cells. We're all just a clump of cells that can think and feel and have thoughts and feelings and all that stuff. That's, you know, so can that clump of cells. I don't like the dehumanizing aspects of that that stuff. And, and at the end of the day, it's not, you know, I can see through the things like the Alabama bill and some of the other laws that have been passed, I can see the misogyny, I can see the controlling of women aspects that people are arguing, and you know, and yes, those those are wrong, but that doesn't overwrite the fact that abortion shouldn't be something championed. That's my moral quandary with it. You know, that's something that I put out on my Twitter just uh, just yesterday, I think. I said, um, I said among the biggest issues in, in the debate of abortion for me is the fact that some proudly wave a banner of having one. And I know it's not a lot of people. I know there's extremism on both sides of that argument. There, there definitely is, and that's part of why we are in such this divisive, tribalistic showdown. And that's why I think one of the best solutions we could have is increasing contraceptive access for both sides of the spectrum. You know, it's like having this having this discussion with my wife. You know, it's like, why can't a woman have a hysterectomy when she wants to have one? You know, why is there restrictions against, you know, that? When I'm pretty sure as a dude I could walk into any clinic right now Maybe sign some paperwork and get downstairs uh, tied up, snipped up, whatever. Whatever the process is. I'm sure there's almost little to no hurdles that I would have to go through. So there's many different aspects to this debate. Then you have things like the Alabama bill where everybody... You, you have one side blanket supporting it, one side blanket opposing it. You have one side that believes Roe versus Wade is settled law that that absolutely defines it to a T and philosophies that that prove otherwise for that law. You know, Todd Todd Hagepin, who is the libertarian in chief on Twitter, great guy, great, uh, great debater, great thinker. Put out a poll, who should go to prison longer, the man who rapes and impregnates an unwilling teenager or the doctor who performs an abortion for her? And overwhelmingly, he's had 1,400 people vote in his poll, overwhelmingly, um, 91% say the rapist should go to jail for longer than the doctor. 9% said the doctor, just because 9% of the world is fucking crazy. Um, but, but... He puts out some great tweets, and the one that I want to read to you is uh, this one. Quote, people who callously tell women that they should be forced to carry their rapist baby to full term 
make the entire pro-life movement look bad. Which I am inclined to agree with. And I understand the other arguments. The baby that is being developed and created did not ask to be and did not ask to put the mother through that and I get the people not wanting that child to suffer the consequences of somebody deciding that its life is worthless. I I get that. That's where this becomes a complex, complicated debate, and that is why I said things like the contraceptives, things like the morning-after pill, and things like access in certain situations should not be denied um, at all. I might not morally agree with the termination of life. And I don't. And I that is part of why, mind you, in part, I personally, up until the time I was married, personally made decisions to not put myself or another woman in a situation where abortion would be a consideration. You know, it's, it's something that... I can't put myself in the shoes of a woman and make that determination. And there's churches, by the way. You know, the Mormon church has some document out there that about abortion, you know, surprisingly from a, from a you know, Christian religion, um, actually had a, a church writing on abortion and how it was, you know, an option for a woman, especially in cases of rape and incest. The Mormon church had a, a more accepting document produced than the U.S. government did. Uh, so it's that's one of those, in those situations too, which the situations of Rape and incest leading to a pregnancy statistically is uh, is low, um, notwithstanding. In in those situations, I can't put myself in in those people's shoes. And you know, ultimately, I you know, if I believe that God is the final judge of things. God is a far wiser person than I am. And I, by his command from what I've read in, in texts about religion anyway, uh, my job is to not pass judgment in that sense. So, it becomes a very difficult topic. We go nowhere in this debate because the two sides of the extreme cannot compromise. And some people will probably hear me say that and say, you know, that's disgusting. Fuck you. You know, I mean, that's what they'll say to me. They'll say that's disgusting and fuck you. And there's some people who are going to hear my comments on that and say, absolutely, I agree with this 
approach and there's going to be people who say, you know, no, he's completely wrong because my body, my right, and I can abort my baby up until the day before it's born. So that's why we have such this this stupid, extreme, flaunty debate on it, and that is why it continues to go nowhere, and that is why we have states like Alabama passing a bill to challenge Roe v. Wade because Roe v. Wade doesn't actually do everything that you think Roe v. Wade does. And the cycle continues. And the cycle continues in things like investigations because we're done with the Mueller, Russia, all that crap, right? That's that's water under the bridge? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not, wonder, it's not water under the bridge. It's not water under the bridge. And this is something that uh, this is another hot topic because of uh, the implications of, of what's going on with it. Um, uh, uh, CNN, I'm reading from a CNN article. Federal prosecutor John Durham, known for bringing independent rigor to challenging and politically sensitive cases, just got his latest high-profile assignment. Durham will help Attorney General William Barr review the origins of the Rusta, uh, the Rusta, the the Russia investigation, a task that could catapult the press-shy career prosecutor into the national spotlight. Durham is the U.S. attorney in Connecticut and was appointed by President Donald Trump in 2017. His role in Barr's controversial review has earned bipartisan praise. Trump's staunchest allies heralded the addition of the battle-tested investigator to Barr's efforts, while some prominent Democrats say they are confident Durham will honestly follow the facts and get to the truth. CNN reported Monday that Durham has already been working on the internal review for weeks, according to a source familiar with the matter. Barr's team is getting assistance from the FBI and CIA, but the review hasn't reached the level of a criminal investigation. In the past week, former Director of National Intelligence James Clapper, former FBI Director James Comey, former Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosentine, and former top FBI lawyer James Baker all publicly defended the decision to open the Russia probe in 2016, justifying the legitimacy of the probe in separate comments. Some people think that this is a, a big controversial thing, and, and but, but you know what? The... In honesty, yes, the whole big picture is controversial. The investigations of this Russia thing, well, not not even the investigation, the surveillance of this Russia stuff started before the 2016 elections. Initiated under Obama, which included things like tapping Trump Tower A.K.A. Oh, air quotes here, surveillance of national interests and stuff, right? Right? There's sketchy shit all over the Russia stuff. From the start of it, all the way up through now, including the fact that we know from 17 intelligence reports that Russia attempted to hack and did hack Things like social media platforms and exploited both sides of our political spectrum to cause a divide which still to this day is fueled because nobody is willing to actually stand back 
and be reasonable and rational about it. Let him let him fucking investigate the the origins of it. Let him. And let's get a full report and let's see who initiated what, why, how long it went on, how long it went on in secrecy. Because if you don't think that it's a big old shit show, I don't know what you're thinking. I really, I don't know what you're thinking. Guys, that's going to do it for me for this week. I hope this episode was informative to you. I hope it, uh, I hope it did something for you. And if you found it interesting at all, please share it with people. Um, share the program. This is one of those hot topics where I think people could benefit from hearing my opinion on it. I know I'm just a lowly cis white male who shouldn't have an opinion on women's reproductive rights or something along those lines. I don't know. I think that's a little crazy to put it out there that way uh, because my opinion on it literally is not about controlling anything. It's about my quandary with the whole I'm supposed to be defending the right to life. It's established in our Declaration of Independence, I think it's a very good starting point in this debate. You know, so, you know, share it with people. Share it with people if you think they'll like it. Share it with people if you think they'll hate it. I don't care. I, I do not care. I enjoy discussion and dialogue and figuring out why people think the way that they think. And that is why, I hope that's what I pushed here. I hope I didn't really just push my opinion on it and say, here's my opinion and I'm right and you're wrong. I hope I didn't uh I hope I didn't come up or come off that way. I really I really hope that I did not come off that way. Um and and part of the reason why too is I put out a a poll on my Twitter account if I can find it. Uh something I want you to think about cuz I tell all the people I have debates with when it comes to law and constitutionality and all this crap this is, this is an interesting question that I pose to people when it comes to laws and rights. All right, If the majority agree that any subject, pick, this, pick a subject, pick a topic, pick a law, pick a right, and fill it in the blank here. If the majority agree that subject should be made legal and thus is made legal, does that mean that that subject is right, moral, and or just? Currently, as my poll stands, which there's nine hours left to vote in the poll, go to the poll and vote on at FritzQS on Twitter. It's there. Find it. Vote on it. Um, as of the as of right now, the poll stands at 94% say no, and 6% say yes. And if you don't understand what I mean by that question, I mean if we uh, if if the majority agrees that this should be a law, a subject. Any subject don't have to be abortion. Can be any number of topics. If, if, if the majority agree that drugs are bad and good and it should be illegal, does that mean that the law that we establish that makes drugs illegal does that mean that it is a right, moral, and just law? That's what I want you to leave with. So follow me on Twitter at FritzQS, Facebook.com/slash TheFritzCast. If you want to get in touch with me, it's fritzcastpodcast at gmail.com. Like I said, like, share. Like and share this with your friends on social media platforms. Leave me a review on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, whatever platform you want. It's there for you. It's there for your enjoyment. Do it. 
And uh, as always, remember, I love you all, and I'll see you all next week when I will be freaking 30 years old. God, I am fucking old. Jesus. All right, guys. Love you.